I have been and ever shall be your friend. Yes. Yes, Buck. The ship. Out of danger, you saved the ship. You saved us all. Don't you remember? Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton resurrecting himself from the mere universe. Classic Beryl. Oh, I can't wait to talk all about my favorite Star Trek character this week because we are going to look at false farewells and curious returns. Um... Something that's very common, I think, in pop culture now with the classic Disney death, where we see it constantly, where characters will die and then come back very shortly after. But, you know, Star Trek, there's so many examples. They don't have to be the kind of the fake out deaths. There's so many cases of writing a character out and then having them come back. Yeah, when I was thinking about this, I I wanted to come at it from the angle where when the characters departed the series, Mm. that... It was meant to be a definitive ending. You know, you could tell that it wasn't supposed to be kind of the uh, Chewbacca in uh, the the Return of the Sith, or not the Return of the Sith movie, whatever that terrible last Star Wars film, Cam. Rise of the Skywalker. Or Rise no, of I the always, Skywalker. I always add a the. It's actually just Rise of Skywalker, but I always add a the Skywalker because it sounds funnier. Okay. Well, um, you add the to lots of things. Um, I do. Like... You, you call it the Twitter for some reason. I, I, I still don't know why that is. I have a friend whose name I always put a the in front of. It's Yeah, it is a thing. You're friends with Dwayne Johnson? <laughs> well, I didn't want to leak it out. You know, that's name dropping. That's a little shameless on the podcast. He was just known as Rock before you met him. <laughs> I added it. That's right, people. Yeah. I am the uh, kind of the secret behind the, the curtain there. I am the uh, the wizard. Okay. Well, look, we're we're going to debate, you know, what constitutes kind of a uh, a false farewell and whether these um kind of curious returns actually justify themselves, you know, where they do right by the character or they kind of do wrong by the character when they bring them back onto the series or the films for whatever reason, uh sometimes a little suspect. But uh, I think this should be fun. Um let's not bury the lead. I I alluded to it uh, right at the top here, Cam. Um, life support was the, uh, departure. <laughs> Opening <of> strong. One... <laughs> Starting strong. Uh, we'll, we'll have a lot more fun as we go along here. But, um, uh, it, was, it was a departure of one Vedic Burial, mm. you know, and I think they wanted to be very definitive by making him, uh, completely vegetative by the end of it, that, uh, this fella is not coming back to be a love interest for Kira. Um, and then, you know, jump ahead a couple more seasons and he's back but he's back from the mere universe, which is uh, he, instead of a religious figure, he's a thief um, Mm. in which intendant Kira has uh, used him quite a bit. So there's always kind of that Kira and Burial connection between both universes um, used in different ways. But I, 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 okay, Cam, uh, first question um, that was this uh, 
a, a good departure for Brial? Was it the best departure we could have expected versus, I think they just, like with regards to Shakar, I think they just broke off off screen and it was like just a offhanded remark that Kira gave once um, that they had broken up. How damning a statement is it of uh, Shakar that they were like, this guy's too boring to even give a farewell to, whereas Barile gets the full episode built around him in uh, yeah life support. I mean, yeah. wow. No, Cam, that was a problem. They built an entire episode around uh, Vedic Barile's farewell, and they're like, well, we better not do that again. Sorry, Shakar. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it? Iris Stephen Bear was not a fan of um, Barile, whereas wasn't it Michael Pillar that actually really believed in that character? Uh, it was very clear that Iris Stephen Bear won that battle ultimately by saying farewell to uh, to Baral. I I think it was actually like a pretty good death and farewell for that character. Actually, kind of an astonishingly um, <laughs> committed farewell to that character. There's so many Star Trek characters who maybe have a dramatic death, but they don't typically get an entire episode built around a recurring character who's been in like I don't know, like seven episodes. No, no, this is definitely not a Chewbacca death here. They they definitely wanted to spend an entire 42 minutes making it clear this guy is, uh, he's still a, a very much utilitarian player in the reduced capacity that he has throughout the episode. But after that, um, this relationship is not moving forward and uh, Brile's gone. Uh, he, he's uh, over with the uh, prophets in the <laughs> Celestial Temple at this point. Yeah, and... The thing with his return in the episode Resurrection, um, I've always wondered because it seemed odd to me that like they weren't happy with kind of the character as he previously existed on the show, and yet they decided to bring the Mirror Universe version back. Was it because they were running out of inspiration for Mirror Universe characters and no other reason? Well, my understanding was that Brile was not even in the first draft of that Resurrection script. And hmm. so I think what happens are like, we know how to add some spice into this boring episode. <laughs> Let's throw in Barile. Maybe they were hoping that because he was such a dud in the uh, uh, the standard, the prime universe, that uh, maybe letting Philip Anglum loose a little would uh, really create this interesting like dynamic between him and a non-visitor. Um, <laughs> I don't think in any universe there's going to be real like a sizzling chemistry between those two. Um, today I tried the new spicier or spicy Coke Zero. Uh, it was kind of a dud and adding spice in this way to DS9 was also a dud. <laughs> I, I saw like a 12 pack of that in the grocery store last week and I could not commit to an entire 12 pack of, um, spicy Coke. Um, what did it taste like? It tastes like Schweppes raspberry ginger ale mostly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Was it a little coppery or? Uh, it just kind of like had that kind of sweet fake raspberry taste. Uh, it didn't even really taste that much like Coca-Cola or Coke Zero to me. It really just tasted like raspberry. Okay. Well, if I see a bottle of it at like a convenience store, I'll give it a try. But, um, at this point... That's what I did. Yeah. Okay. Um, back to Barile, Cam. <laughs> um, Coke Zero is more interesting than Barile. Yeah. D does this uh, curious return justify uh, his false farewell? It, I don't know, because it's kind of a curious case because um, it's it's two separate characters. It's the actor coming back, but I, I'm actually okay with like the prime Barile going out as he does and having this farewell episode. But to bring him back, 
I, I think it's actually okay. It doesn't undercut the farewell at all. That bizarre episode still exists. And if you want to say it packs the power, uh, it still packs that power. I'll put it this way, Cam. Um, we never saw Mir Burial ever again. I think yeah. they threw in the towel at that point, which is why I just don't think this one justifies itself. You know, um, you know, th- this is totally one of those kind of opportunities that I think, um, look, however you want to spell it out, this was him coming back, you know, um, and it just didn't work. It wasn't a very good episode. There was no chemistry between the two characters. Um, he didn't do anything particularly interesting, um, this mere universe iteration of him. So I don't think this curious return quite justifies itself. How many episodes did um, Mirror Universe Jennifer Sisko appear in? Was it just the one or was there like a couple? My guess, uh, maximum of two. Yeah. You know, I know. I, yeah, I believe it was two because there is the one where uh, she and Ben meet in the mm. year, Mirror Universe, and then there is a subsequent follow-up in which uh, she comes to the Prime Universe and meets Jake, and I think that's the episode in which she passes away, right? Uh, okay, that sounds right, yeah. Uh, clearly, they just had more story ideas for Jennifer Sisko than uh, Burial. They, they wanted to repeat um, Sisko on the beach getting uh, hot feet and uh, screaming for lemonade, and uh, she just wouldn't do that again, in the, even in the Mirror Universe iteration. Did any writer ever nervously raise their hand and pitch Mirror Universe Shakar? Um, uh, I can say definitively no. Uh, <laughs> like, what would have been the point? I'm sure that they were uh, very quickly bounced out of the show if that was the case. <laughs> I, I also find it curious, like, they killed off so many folks like uh, Odo and Quark, like, very early on, you know, and I wonder if they kind of regret you know, how how quickly they dispatched with some of the more dynamic characters that they could have played with in the Mirror Universe. You know, it, it was fun seeing Quark as somebody with a heart of gold trying to do the right thing in the Mirror Universe and being punished for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the thing is, like, remember how, like, uninteresting a character Garrick is in the Mirror Universe? I was going to say Garrick, yeah. That one was, like, yeah. like, a real wasted opportunity, yeah. And they brought him back a couple times as well. And I was just like, eh, I mean, he's just, like, he could have just been like any Cardassian of the week. Even the charisma of Andy Robinson didn't really do much for that character. No, no, it didn't. Um, but why don't we jump over to my next one? And we're going to go just not quite as big as Baral, but close. Let's talk about Spock. Sure. Okay. <laughs> and the farewell at the end of Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Nimoy didn't want to do Star Trek anymore. He was like, I'll come back if I get like a big dramatic death scene. That's exciting to an actor. Just ask Daniel Craig about the last Bond film. Um, but spoiler, we have, oh yeah, we have one of the greatest farewells in the history of not just Star Trek in film period. And he's back in Star Trek three. Does it still work or does it, did we lose something? It's such a, I know that's a tough question because you look at the legacy of the character going forward, but like. I don't know. It's such a grand exit that it kind of feels like, oh, imagine if that had been the final farewell. So, yeah, it wasn't just a false farewell. It was a fantastic farewell as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> the thing is, can you really imagine uh, Star Trek without Spock from 1983 onwards? Like, I can't. So even if, like, the search for Spock was not my favorite way mm-hmm. of reintroducing the character i think it ultimately justifies itself based on the subsequent adventures that we get with him 
as well as you know just going on even all the way in the movie era uh, into uh, into darkness uh we get him on the next generation as well um i think this one kind of justifies itself even if it's um not the most fantastic return yeah it's like you start to look at what would you have lost and you think of like spock swimming with the whales in star trek 4 so much great stuff in star trek 6 uh, I'm sure Star Trek V had a moment or two somewhere along the line. Uh, but then, yeah, that, uh, you know, unification two-parter and TNG. And who would have kind of, like, held together the Kelvin-verse in a world where Spock never came back? Like, that's a excellent question. Oh, I know. who. <laughs> it, it would have been Riker. That was the original plan if they could uh, yeah. get Nimoy. They're going to get uh, one Jonathan Frakes to be the, uh, uh, I, I guess, the passer-on of the baton. I would have loved it if they were just like Boothby. Boothby's where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> They're still upset. It all centers around a boxing match. Exactly. Yes. So yeah, like I can completely understand why, uh, you know, why they would bring Spock back. But also, like to me, this doesn't. This is okay. This is a best case scenario. But I can't imagine a situation where I would be really annoyed by this because it was a dramatic death that really had an emotional impact. And there's no shortage of stories currently in pop culture where they would deliver something like that and then undo it. Like, I don't feel as if his return undermines what we got in The Wrath of Khan. Like, yeah, I, I keep going back to the Chewbacca death, which was so stupid. And Ugh. it was like, like, what, like, we thought he was dead for eight minutes. And yeah. even then, it was such a stupid death anyways that, like, I, I just didn't care. Yeah. Or C-3PO, who had a very similar situation in that movie as well. Remind me, what happened to C-3PO in that? I, I know he had the red arm, but beyond that... Oh, they were going to wipe his memory, and he would lose everything. And then they were like, I don't know, go ahead. We have to do it. We have no choice. And then he remembered things anyway. Uh, yeah. Great job, JJ. Yeah, uh, it was a real dud. But yeah, like, um, the Spock one, too, thematically, it works still for the movie. Because it's about... Uh, Kirk having to face aging and mortality and ultimately having to say goodbye to a friend. So even if Spock does come back, that doesn't cut like that doesn't take away from the personal character journey that Kirk was on through that movie. So it actually still holds together. Okay. Um. So yeah, I think we give this one more of a uh, a thumbs up than say Burial. I think we're more on the same page here. Um, yep. I'm going to jump over to one uh, Ensign Row, in which we get the TNG episode. Uh, Preemptive Strike is one of the last episodes to ever air before the series mm -hmm. uh, uh, came to an end here. Um, it was obviously meant to kind of uh, end this character that had been built up since the fifth season, uh, somebody that they wanted to kind of lead the way when it came to Deep Space Nine. Um, Michelle Forbes wasn't interested in doing like a seven-year sci-fi show. Uh, fair enough. Uh, we got the benefit of having Akira turn into kind of that analog character there, which uh, score for mm -hmm. us. Um, I do appreciate that Michelle Forbes was willing to come back, although from what I understood, she actually signed a contract in season seven uh, for more episodes than she actually appeared in. So I think there was a certain point that they were essentially, they couldn't come up with any ideas for her that they wanted to pursue. And she ended up getting paid for like at least a couple episodes that she did not even appear in. So... Um, great gig. Great gig, if you can get it. My sense, though, is like Michelle Forbes, um, she was never really interested in a return to Star Trek. But, you know, flash forward, what, like three decades later? And uh, I can see her being willing to do like kind of a one-off episode. Like what happens to Rolaren 
you know, because uh, it's not only that she betrayed Starfleet, um, she literally pulled a phaser on Riker in uh, Preemptive <laughs> Strike, but um, they made it very clear in uh, season three of Picard in the episode Imposters that uh, she betrayed Picard too, and he could never forgive her. But then I guess he did. <laughs> this to me was a necessary return mm -hmm. because we had definitely just on this show and I'm sure in person as well, like always kind of like wondered like, well, whatever happened to that character? Like, is she dead? Because the McKee were uh, most of them wiped out by the Dominion. So do we just assume that this beloved fan favorite died off screen unceremoniously? That's kind of weird. And so, yeah, it was like having her come back on Picard, uh, not only gave us an emotional kind of payoff to her leaving and joining the Maquis, but I guess it also gave her another farewell, one with some finality. Although, again, it was a little bit of a, if you don't see a body, then whoever really knows. Well, I think even uh, Terry Metalis, the showrunner of season three of Picard, said that uh, they're hoping they could have brought her back for the final episode just to show that she was alive. But I think we just have to assume unless otherwise stated that uh, she did blow up aboard that other ship. And yeah. uh, I don't know, like, uh, what do you think is a better conclusion for her? Preemptive strike or imposters? Because the thing is with imposters, at least we do get the moments in which she and uh, Picard are trying to reconcile their differences after she has her own off-screen redemption arc coming back to Starfleet, serving in prison, and, you know, all of that and making her way all, all the way up to, I think she was like a commander by that point. Yeah. I, I think the problem with the TNG farewell is that I think it would actually work just fine and stand as a great exit for the character if it wasn't her joining the McKee and then that all being complicated by the events of DS9, where suddenly you're like, wait, as I said earlier, you know, is this character alive now? Like, what is going on? Because that just added all these questions about the fate of that character that had she gone off to join, I don't know, the Malon, then we'd go, okay. Okay. Well, I guess she's out there dumping toxic waste somewhere. You yeah. know, we would at least have that sense of like, we know where that character is. Okay. I can just work with this, but we needed answers at a certain point, And I I'm glad that Picard season three felt compelled to give them to us. Okay. Okay. Uh, do we both think uh, this is a, uh, a, Good farewell followed by a solid return. Yeah, I don't think this is a home run return story, but it's a good one. So I'm fine with it. Yeah. Did, did Picard drop an F-bomb on her during the uh, holodeck scene in <laughs> Imposters? Um, he might have. Uh, I think he did. Oh my god, that show. <laughs> and also, didn't he like hold, try to grab like a shotgun from underneath uh, the bar in the holodeck? because she was holding a phaser to him oh man did he did he really <laughs> i think i think i think she yeah i think there was like like he knew of a gun underneath the bar and she was like don't even try or something like that oh my god did he throw on a cowboy hat beforehand <laughs> <laughs> uh, well i was wondering why he was walking around on chaps uh leading up to that but <laughs> it was a tryout yeah. for the roadhouse remake <laughs> <laughs> wow that movie looks good i am bummed out it's not gonna be in uh theaters yeah, yeah. Uh, I, th I think so is Doug Lyman, the director of that film. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Cameron, what's next up for you? Okay, so 
we've talked about several now that actually had like pretty solid farewells. Even Burial, they wrote an episode for him. Uh, let's talk about Dr. Culber, Hugh Culber on Star Trek Discovery, <laughs> who okay. was given a um, oh, rather abrupt but seemingly final moment in season one Discovery where he was killed by um, Ash Tyler slash Voke. Um, and then in season two, we journeyed into the Spore universe to bring him back through uh, very complicated reasons that we talked about on the show back in the day. And I can't remember the uh, completely insane logic that led to his return. But this was both a um, <laughs> big farewell. I don't know if it was a big farewell. It was a farewell and a return. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was a big farewell. I think it was very um, kind of capricious the way that he was dispatched. And mm -hmm. I think that caused a lot of backlash in the fan community. Okay, Cam, if there wasn't the backlash, do you think it would have even been on the writer's radar that maybe they really screwed up the way that... Look, you can kill a character off. Yeah. That's fine. But I think if you kill a character off in a really bad way that um, kind of disrespects the character to a certain degree... Like, I'm not saying you can't kill characters off, but I think if you do it in a really stupid way, then I think i don't know i like what do you think though about the kind of the fan backlash question i posed well had that happened to milton richter was that the character's name <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow uh, i'm so glad i remember that of all the information to have in my brain uh but had it happened to that character no they are not building an episode about going into the spore universe to find milton richter i think it was the fact that um you know wilson cruz was very popular uh, fans really loved him. They loved the character. They loved the dynamic with Stamets. And they felt really slighted and I think a little insulted and rightfully so about the way that character was treated at his like death scene. Which, if you're going to give a character a death, that was a super cheap one. Like, you compare how Culber was killed in Season 1 Discovery to Arium in Season 2. Sure. Like, <laughs> okay, there's yeah. full fanfare. There are, like, bagpipes and Saru singing. And it is just, like, a complete celebration of this character who barely spoke over the course of two seasons. Whereas, like, Culber, it was a real, like... I think maybe even... I can't remember completely. But, like, I feel like when it happened, we even had that moment of, like, did they just kill Culber? Like, it didn't feel like it had finality. Also, uh... <laughs> How did Stamets react? Uh, I'd have to go back. I'm assuming there was maybe some tears, but it was not like a big, big scene that I remember. It really, like, water off his back at that point. You know, like, um, we didn't really see him uh, mourning him uh, in the subsequent episodes. Uh, it, w it was weird. Like, I, like it, wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't like a man who had just lost his husband. I, I just think it speaks to how poorly handled that storyline was. And I don't think initially they had any intention of bringing him back, which is answering a question you had earlier, um, because the logic that they follow to bring him back <laughs> is so yeah. unbelievably insane that there's no way they planned it. Uh, if I can recall correctly, uh, a spore, like a piece of fungus from the spore drive floated into Tilly's hair. Yeah. And in the subsequent season, she started having fungal visions. Uh -huh. And that indicated that Culber was some iteration of Culber was alive in the fungal universe. And so then they recorporealized his body in this universe somehow. 
Um, there was something to do with tears oh. being transferred, I think, into the Spore universe. And I think maybe the tears were on Stamets, and then he plugged himself into the Spore drive, maybe? Yes, there were tears involved. And that was how... <laughs> Viewers and and on the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, this was a stretch even for a sci-fi series like this. Like, it just it made no sense. It was stupid. It was convoluted. Um, as you said, you can tell that the writers did not have this planned out. No, I mean, even like, and it's a common thing we'll say when a show gets this wacky, it's just magic. But even the rules of Harry Potter and all that sort of thing, all these Doctor Strange, there's more rules to that magic than there is to what's going on here. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I think this is one where we give the definitive thumbs down to both the farewell as, as well as the return. Like, we like the character, but the way they brought him back was pretty stupid. Yeah. We give thumbs up to the character being back, but the way they did it was... Which was worse, do you think? The death or the return in terms of storytelling? Uh, the thing is, with the return, at least it meant that we got a character back that we liked, you know? Mm-hmm. The problem is, the return was one of the stupidest things I've ever seen in Star Trek. You know? Yeah. I, I... But... This what was a more capricious death? To the way they killed off Jadzia or the way they killed off Culber? Um, I would say Culber. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh I still think the return is stupider. Yeah, like I would say in terms of just storytelling, the the return is <laughs> it's a car crash. Like I don't know what was there was like a gas leak in the writer's room that week. <laughs> Whereas I would say like the death is handled poorly, but I can understand that they were trying to just have this shock death moment. And so it's like, okay, I guess it sort of works as that, I guess. Uh, okay. Uh, Cam, I want to jump over to something where, um, you know, nobody necessarily dies. You know, none of the main characters do. But you can kind of tell that it was time to close a book on the original crew. That mm. was with uh, The Undiscovered Country. And we, we literally see in the end credits the cast's signatures. They are literally signing off. Like, this mm -hmm. is kind of meant to be the end of the journey. They knew they wanted to bring the next-gen crew into the fold to carry on the film franchise. Uh, obviously, okay, this is where it, it gets kind of, like, iffy. Like, do you think they always plan to have kind of a passing of the baton from Kirk to Picard the entire time? Or, or was even anyone thinking about it at that point? I don't think anyone was thinking about it at that point um, because, like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, didn't Ronald D. Moore and Brennan Braga have to write Generations in very little time because they were so busy with all good things? So I, I don't know that they were really, like, holding on to the idea of a baton passing for, like, two or three years before it led to writing that movie. I, I think that just came later. Yeah, one one of the uh, complaints that the uh, that Ronald D. Moore and Brandon Braga had over this was they were given a laundry list of things to do mm. from you know kind of the the studio, and so it had everything to do with like must include Data's emotion chip, must include the return of Kirk, and so it was just kind of like okay, so this curious return, it uh, it was really like slamming a square peg in a round hole, like it just didn't quite work. I think that the best send-off he got uh, compared to the bridge death versus, you know, um, <laughs> second star to the right, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, okay, what if the Undiscovered Country was legit 
the last time we ever saw of Kirk. Would you be satisfied? Um, and I, 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 I know that seems like a really obvious question, but it is kind of curious that we have not had Shatner return in any sort of form since, you know, uh, literally 30 years ago. Yeah. It's crazy, actually. You would really think they would have found a way to write him in to something. And I know the J.J. films, they did toy with like a Kirk video or something, like kind of a happy birthday thing to Spock, but never pulled the trigger on that one. Well, there's also um, in Star Trek Enterprise, uh, Shatner's people reached out to the producers and pitched like a a two-part episode. Yeah. And uh, I believe this is in season four. And uh, according to Rick Berman, um, he said that the uh, the uh, price he wanted was about eight <laughs> times more than what the studio had any interest in paying. Um, it wasn't ten times more, Cam. It was eight times more. I, I would love to know what that was. Uh, I, I want to know what the story idea was as well, because my, my hope is that maybe like ten years later, they could have found a way to do right by that character, which it's, it's so sad that like... Out of all the captains, like, he just has such a lame departure, ultimately. Wasn't it a mirror universe, Kirk, in the Enterprise story? Um, that kind of rings a bell. I think it was. It was like the return of Barbarian Kirk. Yeah, that would have been great. (laughs) (laughs) Just watching him, like, stomp around, like, uh, just yelling, Barbarians. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the thing about Generations is, it's hard to defend that movie too much. I think we both like ranked it right near the bottom of our Star Trek movie rankings back in the day. So it's not like he came back for a home run movie. I do really like his scenes with Picard, though. Like, there's some goofiness to do with like the horses and stuff like that. But like, when he's talking about like, don't let them take your captain, you know, spot away. Like, yeah, there's something about the power of having those two icons next to each other. I think is really cool and important for the franchise. But is it worth it to have the really lame death and, you know, the two of them scrambling around on the rocks with Dr. Soren? Eh, not really. And it does always feel very wrong to me when you open Generations, how it's Kirk walking on to, you know, the Enterprise-C with... Um, the B. With, or the B, sorry, with uh, Chekhov and Scotty. It's like, this just doesn't seem right. This yeah. it should be... You know, it should be McCoy and Spock. So I don't feel like I'm seeing Kirk in the proper element for Star Trek Generations. So I guess this is somewhat of a negative return. I'll say one thing that did undermine um, that great moment between Picard and Kirk, you know, where he's like, don't ever let them uh, take the captain's chair away from you, uh, was the fact that uh, Picard became an admiral and they yeah. <laughs> he did give up that captain's chair, which means he didn't really listen to Kirk's advice. Um, I, I, I don't know, it makes me think about like how things would have been different, uh, for that character if, uh, he didn't resign from Starfleet as an admiral in protest of the, uh, way that they were dealing with Romulan refugees. It would have been interesting though, if in Picard at one point he'd just been like, I should have listened to Captain Kirk. I should have. <laughs> it would have been great though. I, I, I think that cause, cause you know, if Picard is the series is all about him trying to reflect and deal with his mistakes. And I wonder if that would have been like kind of a good moment for him. Something a lot more interesting than uh, the, the Jot Vage, you know, like all the techno babble that we got. Well, I wish we had a sense that that encounter with Captain Kirk meant something to Picard 
but he never referenced it ever again. <laughs> it was clearly yeah, not great. that important. <laughs> well, you need to keep in mind that uh, in season three of uh, of Picard, uh, the next Kirk reference we get is uh, they're on that black site space station. Yeah. And the corpse of Kirk has been scooped up from Viridian 3, and it's just sitting there in this space station. Yes. And Picard, was it? Was he there for that uh, mission? That I don't think he was, was he? I don't think he was, no. <laughs> I mean, that would have been funny if he was there. <laughs> He's like, hey, I knew him. <laughs> we were buddies. And he, like, looks through the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's like, if we had really built an emotional connection between those two characters that really had some, like, you know, profundity to it, Maybe it would be worth it, but yeah, the whole thing with Kirk coming back for Generations, it's just kind of weird, especially when this should be really launching the next generation as their own film entity, as opposed to kind of falling back on original series movie energy. Okay, so this one, uh, look, it's a fine farewell. Um, the return is more than curious, it's a catastrophe. <laughs> Well, maybe we should just like touch on some of the other people who are tied into that Star Trek Six farewell, because obviously, you know, I mentioned Chekhov and Scotty. Uh, they both show up for generations. Now, Scotty, I would argue this was actually a good return because it got us relics on TNG. So it got us having... relics on TNG. What are yeah, you talking about? Like having Scotty come back after Star Trek Six. Ultimately, he winds up on in relics, right? Is that episode after uh, TNG? Is relics after TNG? No, no. Uh, so Generations, he appears, but that was the relics had already aired before Sorry. Generations. Uh, totally, my bad. On there, I was thinking yeah. actually of what I meant to say was was relics after Star Trek Six in airing. Uh, so wasn't relics for like meant to be for like the twenty fifth anniversary? Oh, I think you're right. Yes. So wasn't it around the same time then, like the same year? Maybe like it's nineteen ninety one, right? Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, I I wonder what happened was uh he was in relics in like September, and then yeah. he was in the undiscovered country by December. Okay, well if perchance he was in relics <laughs> after Star Trek Six, I think that's worth coming back for because that is a true farewell to that character. Um, Generations was a mistake though. As for Chekhov, uh, yeah, uh, probably should have just stayed gone after Star Trek Six. Okay, so Cam, uh, Relics, it uh, premiered October 12th, 1992. So he oh. did come back after uh, The Undiscovered Country. Do you think that was worth him coming back? Uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Okay. But probably shouldn't have come back for uh, for generations then. No, no. Um, I don't know. What about Chekhov's voice in <laughs> the finale of uh, Picard? Well, that was like his uh, descendant, right? It was yeah. like his grandchild or something. Uh, yeah, that was that was that was a thing. We could have left it there at generations. Yeah, we could have. Maybe yeah. if he'd had like a uh, really definitive death scene, he would have been spared the indignities of Star Trek Renegades. No, no kidding. Actually, I think they still would have written him in somehow. I think you're right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, Cam, what is next? Okay, so we can say. Not great for uh, Kirk and Company, uh, necessarily. Mm. Maybe it, it varies a little bit. I, I mean, uh, what would you have uh, next up on your list here? Well, we talked about Ro, who's getting a big farewell at the end of C uh, Season 7 TNG. Let's talk about Wesley. 
who we saw get a farewell at the end of TNG. <laughs> uh, a, a, you know, somewhat problematic one, but a seemingly definitive ending for that character at the time. Well, problematic because it's... Uh... <laughs> A, it's not the greatest of episodes, and then B, uh, the way they kind of deal with, like, uh, American indigenous people is um, yeah, eh, kind of stupid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, again, it's Wesley going off, joining the Traveler, and journeying throughout the cosmos. And then he pops up in uh, Nemesis doing something or other, <laughs> sitting at a table. He's in, he's, yeah, he's just in the background. Like, he doesn't, like, they cut his line from the film. Yeah. And then ultimately where he winds up in Picard season two. Now, I can understand bringing this character back more than some of the other ones we've talked about on this uh, episode so far because he's a young person. Like, his journey with the Traveler is just a mere step among his journey to come. But, like, um, should Wesley have come back? <laughs> um, So I know that there are uh, certainly some fans delighted to see Will Wheaton again. I think Will Wheaton's become a fan favorite over the years, despite um, Wesley being kind of the, the the target for a lot of attacks back in the day. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I don't know if people are are conflating their uh, love of Will Wheaton for the return of Wesley, and I I just don't know if they were really paying attention to what was going on in that uh, Picard season two finale, where uh, yeah, he's back from the cosmos and he wants twenty one year olds. Um, humanoid clone Corey to go traveling with him because cam she's special cam and uh why is that <laughs> um well she can dramatically delete programs on a computer yep. yeah uh beyond that uh it's not her swimming skills from what we saw <laughs> okay. um her ability to walk in bare feet <laughs> like through the streets without injuring yep. herself i guess that's impressive yeah um, it, it just seemed as if they were just throwing this on very arbitrarily. They didn't really have a very good idea about, like, like a justifiable idea to bring back Wesley. Uh, no. And so, like, it, had Wesley never come back, whether in Nemesis or on Picard Season 2, would you have been satisfied with that farewell in Journey's End? Yeah, ultimately. I, I mean, it's not the greatest of episodes but i think it makes more sense that he's off on a journey with a traveler than he is hanging out at starfleet academy and sitting behind the console uh, and you know pushing buttons you know he, like he, he th- from episode one we were told this man is special this mm-hmm. man or, or this boy i should say is, is has some profound intellect you know and i think it makes much more sense i mean they set up the traveler in the first season as well so i think it might, makes much more sense that um he's doing this journey with the traveler by the time you get to the end of season seven. Yeah. And then like the fact that they made like the travelers, uh, a group that are working with like, uh, the supervisors or whatever, the Charlie, uh, Charlie sevens of the world. Like that just did not work. That did not work at all. I can't, I I wonder if we we can have a couple debates about things that I I was a little bit on the fence of whether or not they constitute, constitute a false ending. Um, Star Trek Nemesis, you know, yeah, you kill off Data there. Um, flash forward, we get uh, the return of Data in season one of Picard, and then you kill him off again, mm-hmm. and then flash forward to season three of Picard, 
and you've brought back kind of a a new form of data, you know, one who kind of iterates on the other sort of Sung androids. Um, but was Nemesis really, like, was it supposed to be the end of data? Like, in that body, yes, but by the end of the movie, you know, um, those memory engrams that were not successfully uploaded into before, um, well, suddenly they start appearing, and, and before is singing, you know, Blue Skies mm-hmm. by the end of it. Like, I think if the movie had not bombed, I think Brent Spiner would have been there for a fifth Star Trek Next Generation film. I do too, and uh, let me just say, I realized I mixed up, I called him Charlie 7, it's Gary 7, that's going to haunt me if I don't mention it, I was mixing up with Charlie X, but yes, getting back to the question, um, the thing with this death of data was, I've always felt like it was just kind of trying to rip off um, the ending of Wrath of Khan, they wanted a dramatic death, and what happens at the end of the Wrath of Khan? Spock dies, but then we see that coffin you know, sitting on the Genesis planet. So they gave themselves kind of a a backdoor if they wanted to bring back Spock. And I feel like that's exactly what they were doing with Data as well. Because, yeah, maybe Brent Spiner's saying, I'm too old, I don't want to do this anymore. Okay, let's give Data this big dramatic death that, you know, Brent Spiner, I believe, had a story credit on the movie. He is somewhat uh, invested in this kind of concept. But... At the same time, they're hedging their bets because they're like, well, if this movie's, as you said, is a success, we can have data back. We've built this in. And also, maybe they don't want to bring data back, but whatever phase uh, B4 is in, had they made a hypothetical Star Trek V, you know, TNG crew movie, maybe Brent Spiner's interested in playing a completely different form of android that he hasn't done before. So maybe just as an actor, that's appealing to him. I think that's kind of what the deal was. Yeah. Yeah. So either way, they were basically building in a way to appeal to Brent Spiner, the actor, later down the road if they needed him. So, yeah. Well, just going backwards to something you brought up, you know, leaving the back door open to Spock, I kind of think the plan was to maybe cast younger. You know, Nimoy Mm. doesn't want to do it anymore. Let's leave the coffin over on Genesis Planet, and we can have Kirk and company dealing with a 20-year-old actor who's now playing Spock. Yeah, and actually, uh, Nicholas Meyer was not in favor of that shot at all. That was a studio demand. So it was, yeah, like, I think um, they were hoping to do something with Spock. I don't think the studio was willing to let go of that character, so I think you're probably right. I also think about um, how Kirk and Spock said their goodbyes versus how Data and Jordy said their goodbyes (laughs) in Nemesis, whereas Jordy just gave him a blank stare as Data jumped from the Enterprise to the Scimitar. Yeah, and never acknowledged it, really. <laughs> it was like, yeah. okay. Well, uh. You look at the yeah. farewell that uh, Spock got at the end of Wrath of Khan, and then look at the one Data got. It's like, that's insane. So, okay. Pretty bad farewell, mm-hmm. if you want to call it a farewell. Because things we've typically been defining the farewells as things that seemingly seemed kind of like definitive this one a little bit more on the fence like i don't think this is meant to be as definitive as some of the other examples we've been using but what do you think of data's returns multiple returns over the course of picard uh seasons one and three so i am no fan of uh no big fan of picard season one this was totally justified though in my mind bringing data back to have that final moment at the end of that season I thought the farewell to Data scene in Picard Season 1, that is the highlight of the entire season. Uh, I think Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner are fantastic playing that scene through. 
and it's emotional, it's effective, it's what you want the entire season of Picard to be, both one and two, frankly. So that I'm in favor of 100%. Now, season three, it works. It's it's a different form of data. I can understand how that appeals to Brent Spiner. I don't know, though, as much as it works for me, tracking it over the course of the season and ultimately where it winds up, I don't know that I emotionally connect to it as strongly as I do the farewell at the end of season one. Yeah, I'm on the same page as you. I, I thought the farewell in season one was fantastic. Um, I, I can tell Brent Spiner is having fun playing kind of a different version of Data. You know, um, I, I do appreciate that, uh, you know, they do have those moments between lore and Data as well, acknowledging that stuff. Um, they really did acknowledge it uh, very, uh, very much... Uh, in an economical matter in which um, it's just like data versus lore on a white background talking yeah. to each other, yeah. you know? Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm okay with the idea. Look, I, I, yeah, I am definitively okay with the idea that data is still out there and he can make a return, you know? Um, d does it undermine his death in Nemesis? I, I don't really care. It wasn't a very good death anyway. No. No, it, it was not a good day to die for Data that day. Um, and also, I mean, the way that Data ultimately ends in Picard Season 3, all along it's been this Pinocchio thing, and they had his final, he got to be a real boy kind of ending, which is, on one hand, incredibly predictable and um, <laughs> as like uh, unimaginative as you could get, but ultimately that's kind of what the character was set up for in some ways in the premiere of the show. Yeah. Cam, another one I'm a little on the fence about. Um, Kess. You know, the yeah. gift was her farewell episode, episode two of season four. Uh, you know, we, we see her going on to another plane, but she comes back in fury in what she's suddenly uh, a, a very, very bloodthirsty antagonist there. And I think what the from what I recall, the idea was that she would kind of like pop up uh, here or there, across the remaining run of Voyager, I think they watched Fury and they realized it didn't really work. And I don't know. It was, it was a. There's some interesting elements about that episode, like Kess trying to feed the crew to the Vidians in yeah. the past, you know. But it just it felt like a very awkward return. Um, but I don't know. Do you think the gift was meant to be definitive, or do you think they were leaving the door open? you know, just in case they ever wanted to bring her back like they did in Fury. I don't think they would have written a definitive ending for Fury where the, you know, that uh, Jennifer Leon wouldn't be able to come back. That just doesn't make sense. It's kind of like, um, you know, having um, Denise Crosby come back and then just end it in a way where it's like, we're definitely never bringing you back. It, obviously, Sela didn't pay off later down the road at a certain point, but like, I think the they want to have that option there, and I think that was the case with Kess as well. This one is like really annoying because the farewell to Kess comes in the episode where like Seven of Nine is basically really assuming her <laughs> role as a regular on the show. It's so yeah. clearly manipulated to you know work out this way, and so oh, there's a there's kind of like a streak of cynicism to the whole thing, and the way that Kess journeys from like you know, throughout season uh, th three into four to suddenly be turning herself into like a dust cloud or whatever it is in space by the sure. end. I'm just yeah. like, how did we get here? 
This doesn't. This feels like you basically hit fast forward on a character's journey to get to this moment where she becomes one with the cosmos or something. Like it didn't feel like we were that close to where she wound up, and so it doesn't work for me as a farewell that well. But the return is worse. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like none of it was good. Uh, one thing I'll say is I, I did like the final scene between her and Neelix, you know, there's mm-hmm. some acknowledgement that they had a relationship, uh, regardless of how weird that relationship was, uh, for, I guess, uh, seasons, eh, what, what was it? Like, halfway through season three, I think is when they officially broke up in the episode Warlord. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there was that, um, Jennifer Lean, like in moments and I don't even say like, I wouldn't even say she's, like, she's bad in Fury. It's just like, it's such a terribly written episode and feels like a complete betrayal of the character Yeah, that I'm just like, like, who is this? It would have been almost better if they'd concocted some sort of like mirror universe kind of concept or something where it's like, here's the evil version of version of Cass versus taking the character we like and then distorting her in this way. Okay. Um, Cam, what's definitively the best farewell slash return? And what's definitively the worst? Spock, right? Like, I don't know that there's another option. Uh, he, that's I don't the know worst, that, in your opinion. That's the worst, clearly. No, it's the yeah. best farewell, <laughs> but I don't know that I would say it's the best return, because then we're talking about Star Trek Three, right? Which is uh, well, good. No, I'm but... asking, you got to go with both. Like, Okay, then I would say Spock. Yeah, because of okay. what we get out of that return. Um, And the worst... It's got to be Culver, right? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, both though. Both the farewell and the return were pretty terrible. They were both truly terrible. But the one thing I'll say about Culver is him being back did contribute value to the show. And then I'm like starting to juggle in my mind, like, is there a return where it actively hurt the character or the show? I mean, the Kess one kind of falls into that. But does it add up to be an even worse farewell slash return than Culver. At least with Kess, yeah, she turns into a dust cloud, but she does say goodbye to uh, Neelix. She gives the crew the gift of, you know, moving forward in their journey another 10 years. Yeah. You know, there's some purpose to it. There's no purpose to Culver's death. Because guess what? Uh, If it's supposed to forward the character of Stamets... Stamets cries in one episode and forgets about it the remainder of the season. Yeah, no, that that's quite true. I think in terms of like how they handled um, Culber's <laughs> death and then return, there's nothing that bad. It's more like I, I look at kind of the circumstances around it or what came after, but in terms of actually handling a farewell and a return, there's nothing worse in the history of Star Trek. Okay. Well, Cameron, uh, I think that's that. Uh, lots of fun to, <laughs> diving into all these uh, false farewells. Um, it, it's just kind of a different animal than kind of the Disney stuff. where Because the thing is, like, when they do those Disney deaths, you know that the intention is that they are going to bring them back. Whereas here, I think we've been talking about really the intention is not necessarily to bring them back. It, it's meant to be a little bit more definitive, but for whatever sci-fi machinations that ensue, um, they have a curious return. Well, I did have a question for you just before we wrap up here. Should they have brought Q back after all good things? Um, yes, but uh, in the way that they did in Star Trek Picard, uh, not that way. I think there are. Um, I just it would have made sense to bring him back for you know the third Star Trek TNG film, just the marketing alone. 
you know, um, he didn't have to be the main antagonist or anything that he could have been kind of more of a, a side character popping in or even just kind of pointing the crew in the right direction. And they would have gotten a lot of marketing out of that. The whole like, I'm dying and I'm going to slap you in the face, Mon Capitan. And oh, let me give you a hug because deep down we all love each other. It just like, ugh, like, give me a break. Right. And what about the Voyager episodes? Do they like, do you find those rewarding seeing Q pop up? Um, I could have, what, what's, what's the best Voyager episode in which Q returns? Like, uh, death, death wish. Yeah, that's true. Um, I still think if we wanted to give a final, like the thing is, okay, here's what happens is like Q's appearance, um, in Voyager kind of undermines what seemed like a special relationship between Picard and Q. It mm-hmm. seemed like he also took a fondness to Janeway as well. Uh, he certainly did not take a fondness to, uh, Cisco. We know that. So, I don't know. I, I think kind of uh, the appearances on, on Voyager, I mean, it's always fun to watch John Delancey just chew the, uh, uh, chew the scenes, I should say. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I think ultimately if uh, All Good Things was the last we ever saw of him, I think that would have been fine. It would have been one of the greatest exits in the history of the franchise, I think. Well... What do you think about his final appearance, seemingly, where uh, he's saying goodbye to Jack Crusher, or he's introducing himself to Jack Crusher, I should say. Not great, Bob. <laughs> I <Yeah>. think <laughs> we could do a lot better as a final moment for Q than that. <laughs> it was a final moment for, like, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, period. Yeah, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe there'll be a very we'll short trek that'll pay all this off in a satisfying <laughs> way. <laughs> I guess technically the uh, the very sh- short trek featuring Riker and Beverly on the Booger planet oh, no! is... That could be the final time we see the next-gen crew in action. That would be truly amazing. That's a trivia-like question that like is going to win someone some money at a bar one day. <laughs> okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. You can also leave reviews for us wherever you get your podcasts. Very much appreciated. Tyler. What are we doing next week? We're going to continue our series of journeys with specific characters. Uh, the last one we did was the journey of Worf. Uh, prior to that, uh, we had a lot of great response to the journey of Dukats. Cam, we are following up with one of our favorite doctors of all time. Uh, it's going to be the journey of one Dr. Beverly Crusher uh, through about four decades of uh, Star Trek. Uh, she, she's uh, taken some twists and turns over the years, and uh, it'll be fun to delve into her history and uh, maybe what the future holds for her. Oh, more short treks? <laughs> more short treks on the Booger planet, yes. <laughs> okay, you can, of course, also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, B is in, Vadin's an evil Kess, oh my, Smith. You can find me at Report, and that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N, N as in uh, Nicheyev's, uh Farewell was also the same episode as uh, Wesley's. Uh, I'm still waiting for her curious return. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Did any writer ever nervously raise their hand and pitch Mirror Universe Shakar? Um, I, I can say definitively no. Uh, <laughs> like...